Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Hello. Hi, guys. Hi, friends. Oh, so many alumni here. This is making my heart so happy. Um, so I know I saw Robin at Aldi, and I was like, wow, God is good. This is, I love it. I love running into old friends in grocery stores. What a time. Okay, hi, guys. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Hannah Simons. I am a recent graduate here at Truman State. Um, oh, I guess my first, yeah. Um, I'm going to follow in the steps of Derek and Reed, and from what I always know, the classic three titles. Um, so this is Living Intention. I don't want to walk, and Rainbow Basin can and does lead to redemption. Um, so I'm a recent graduate, and now I'm in this very beautiful, very strange, very oddly slow season of not being in school and just preparing for my future while still trying to embrace and take in all the beautifulness of this small town of Kirksville. I thought it would be appropriate to showcase my family before I go into my testimony. Yay! Um, so that left, far left is my family. From the left is my sister, my mom, who could be my sister, uh, my dad, me, and then my older brother, Josh. Um, so there's my dad. He is the one who has cultivated my work ethic and my love for travel. There's my mom. She is like the biggest prayer warrior I will ever know, and she loves without, bound, without limits, and she always goes the extra mile for us kids. And then there are truly my best friends, my older brother Josh, and my younger sister Sarah. To describe them would be to describe, honestly, with the same side, the two sides of the same coin. Um, they are both extremely kind, goofy, logical, and the most determined people I'll ever know in my life. Like, if they see a problem, it's, they're going to take care of it. Even talking about them, um, they ground me. And yeah, even just talking about them, I feel at peace. And then there's John. I put him in there because like in a couple, almost 100 days, he's like almost my family. And so I figured he should get a little spot. Um, <laughs> that's right, John. I put you in and you didn't put mine in, so you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he is the most patient, kind, inquisitive, loving person I'll ever know. And he is my home. Um, before I begin my testimony, it should be helpful and would be helpful for you guys to know some background information. Growing up, my dad was the most engaged, active, present father a little girl could ever ask for. He regularly prioritized daddy-daughter dates. He tucked us into bed every night, took me to history and art museums, and for years, he drove Sarah and I to school every day. Up until I was like 17, he was like, you can drive your sister to school, I'm done. <laughs> um, this is a dad that I grew up with. My family faced a lot of hardships, both externally and internally. Um, but that never swayed my father's consistency growing up. He was always there as my listening ear, and as I entered high school, we would frequently visit Starbucks on Sunday mornings just so I could share my heart, um, and I share with him my biggest dreams and my hidden fears. <sighs> Sorry. With all of this, my testimony begins in the summer, end of summer of 2021. I had just so finished a season of deconstructing and reconstructing my faith, or so I thought, because God is never done working on you, fun fact. Um, and I was excited to start my junior year. I felt refreshed, confident in all my friendships, and I was content with what my purpose was in school. I finally felt oriented. 
However, three weeks before the semester started, my dad abruptly announced to the family that he was moving to Miami, Florida by himself to pursue a new job. So in the midst of Yaw Week, while I was meeting new people and going to all these fun events, drinking chocolate milk in Duncan's basement, exploring new parts of Kirksville and Thousand Hills, my dad was packing up his life into a car and he drove. I was shocked, deeply confused, and extremely hurt by his decision. From that point on, and for a long time, my communication with my dad significantly dropped as he grew accustomed to his newfound paradise. Phone calls were far and few in between, and when we did talk, all I heard was how wonderful Miami was and how much better living there by himself was than living in Missouri. But I couldn't make sense of all this newfound happiness he seemed to be experiencing. And this disconnect, physical and emotional, festered deep, deep grief and anger within me. Miami was his promised land, but it became my greatest hell. Overnight, he seemingly became a stranger to me. I no longer understood him or his actions or how a father could do this. And I didn't recognize him anymore. The father who was consistent, who was present, who was always active, seemed to be no longer. And in it, I couldn't help but think through the heaviness, were we, your family, not enough to keep you here? Was I not enough to keep you here? And does my dad not yearn to be by his family? So my default setting, when I experience honestly anything in my life, is I internally process them, take them in the little, little box, and I shove it down. Because you can't think about something, and if you don't think about something, it doesn't affect you, right? Yeah, nope. <laughs> um, and I found myself in that this anger became bitterness, and this bitterness only continued to grow, and my pain only deepened and I didn't know what to do with all this newfound anger. You see, I grew up as a pastor's kid. I knew the Bible stories. I slept on the church pews while my parents were in endless meetings. I did all the veggie tale watching. I memorized scripture. I believed that to feel anger, to feel anger was a sin, and that to feel any sort of sadness for an extended period of time just showed a weakness of my faith, and that I wasn't praying hard enough. I was taught to fervently and undoubtedly trust in God for all things. I knew what the Bible verses said about trusting the Lord and the peace of the Lord is my strength and to put on the full armor of God for protection. But when grief feels like it takes and has a seat in every room of your mind, the love, the joy, and the peace the Bible talks about seems unattainable and not even possible to achieve. Grief is suffocating, grief is hard, and it has this weird way of pushing out any possibility that hope can possibly exist when grief is present. And even worse, it comes in these really heavy, hard to explain waves, and very unexpectedly they hit. Grief is also the soil for bitterness to grow. And because bitterness never actually truly stays where it first comes from, it has this really sick, cancerous way of spreading into every part of your life, whether you want it to or not. You can't really run from it without facing it. And I spent a full year ignoring my grief, numbing my pain, and filling up my time with school and CCF and pouring into others and pouring into my other relationships. And don't get me wrong, I experienced lots and lots of happy times in the, that season. 
that the underlying current of grief was constant and it never seemed to leave my mind. And at the time, I kept this information that my dad had gone and what I truly felt very limited. I held this pain in a tight bundle close to my chest. Because when I face conflict, I fear most of the time, and honestly all the time, that my burden will be too heavy for others to bear because they have their own things going on, so why should I bother them? So I didn't reach out to anybody. Eventually, the people closest to me noticed that my walls were breaking and that there was something going on. But I kept, and when they asked, as graciously and as loving as those people were, I kept my responses short and made jokes of the situation. Um, I have a kind of bittersweet memory of one time I was sitting in the Halley couch and I got an email, I got a text from my dad that just destroyed me. And I remember going to the basement, sobbing my eyes out in the very like cluttered basement, praying to the Lord that no one, all the boys could, couldn't hear me upstairs. Even though if you've ever stepped foot in Halley, those, like, those floors are thin and they're bouncy. And so they definitely could like hear me sobbing. Um, and I came upstairs and I just smiled, and I'll never forget um, when the guys just looked at me and they just, they could see the hurt, but they didn't know what to say. And for those boys, thank you. Uh, thank you for not pushing me when I wasn't ready. I did anything to distract and deflect the pain that I felt. I see now that I robbed myself of fully feeling these emotions for a long time. And for a little bit at least, this actually did temporarily work out. Um, but each time I was reminded of my weakening relationship with my father, whether it was due from a happy post on Facebook that he posted, celebrating his new life, or having to go home over the breaks and holidays and no longer get to see him. I swallowed the hurt and I kept walking down this very, very lonely path. But God is good and the story doesn't end there. This all brings me to this past fall, fall of 2022. And it was a doozy. Woo. It was a very, very, very rough one for me. On top of still struggling to understand my dad's absence and the changes that resulted from it, I was grieving the change of friend dynamics and entering a long distance engagement, and it just simply became too much for me to bear on my own. So two things happened that fall. First thing, I learned that I find a lot of comfort in hiking and running the trails of Thousand Hills and Rainbow Basin taking in the silence, finding peace in the stillness of the empty woods, having my mind only having to focus on taking each step, careful to not trip over tree roots or rocks as I was running. It's one of the few places where my mind can actually be quiet, and I'm not scared by that quietness. I have screamed, I've cried, and I've prayed on those paths. My freshman year self would honestly be pretty freaked out that I enjoyed spending time alone. I had a constant fear of it, always feeling like I needed to be around a body of people. Um, but now I've learned I'm enjoying it. There, I was on it, able to be honest with myself, and I realized that I couldn't be on this path of hurt alone. At a superficial level, I knew what vulnerability was. It's often talked about in small groups, accountability, coaching group, in friend circles. But the actual act of being vulnerable with those around me felt like an entirely different battle that I was not yet ready to face. I kept telling myself, who am I to complain about my grief while others face much, much worse? And why should I involve others when I can do it by myself and avoid them from being burdened? I want to be there for them. But through the continuous grace and patience from those around me, 
I learned, and I'm still working on knowing that God's design for life was never meant to be lived alone, but to be lived in this community. As I slowly began to invite people to walk this path with me, I found the pain, while it still remained, it no longer felt like I was trapped in it. It became a little bit lighter. The other comfort I found was when I joined the Dense Small Group last fall. And yes, I treasure their genuine love for their students and Leanne baking all the sweet goodies and all the goodness that was in Dent Manor. But the true, deeper reason why I joined is because I was so desperate for peace and for healing in any capacity I could find it in. Slowly opening up to people helped me to not feel completely alone, but I was still walking on the path that continued to end up in anger and bitterness. It was halfway through the semester when one week at small group, we took a little field trip out to Rainbow Basin. And I was like, oh, perfect, my happy place. Um, and we spent our time silently walking this line through the trails and intermittently someone repeated Jeremiah 6.16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. And at the very last verse, every time someone said it, I was taken aback. Because sometimes I believe that God can speak in these big, loudest, thunderous voice that my charismatic evangelical church I was raised and taught me but he is also found in the small, everyday moments. In that day, God's presence and his voice was just a whisper, but I knew it was one I couldn't ignore. It was like he was saying, look, Hannah, look at the good and ancient path I have created for you. It is there for you to walk in. It is full of light and full of rest and full of hope. And even though I've created for you, you don't want to walk in it. I've created a rest for your soul, but yet you still refuse to be comforted by me. I had not been walking the good walk, and I stood at the crossroads to forgive or to not forgive my dad, and I walked away from the good path. That same night at Rainbow Basin, as we all sat down at the opening in the trail path, and looking out at the skyline, all I could think was, God, why are you telling me this? I don't know how to forgive. How can I even do that? After all that had been done, all the words that have been left unspoken. But from this moment on and over the course of many months, it became apparent to me my own stubborn heart was blocking this path of goodness. I simply did not want to walk in it, so I didn't. Because walking on it would mean initiating hard conversations. It would be me having to place words to the sorrow I felt it would be at me actually facing my mourning instead of running from it. In the Beatitudes, um, Matthew states, bless those that mourn and feel the grief of loss for they shall be comforted. Um, and last fall, we talked about the Beatitudes and I just remember being so upset by this verse because I didn't understand what does it mean to be comforted? Uh, we're not actually told that directly in the Bible. It's kind of left up to an interpretation. Um, but what does it even mean to be comforted? I'm still wrestling with that. To be comforted has not been nearly as calm or smooth or a straightforward path as I thought. But when I look at the Bible as, ho as a whole, I have hope. 
I find a central theme throughout it all, a theme that God is a loving God who seeks after restoration and healing for his people. Time and time again through the Old and New Testament, we see that there is chaos in this world and God is actively, presently working to bring the chaos into his divine order. I don't know what the chaos is in your life or what form comfort takes, but God has created a good path for all of us to walk through. And we are promised that it will bring rest for our souls. Maybe like me, it's the balance of forgiving someone while still maintaining a healthy boundary. Maybe it is the acceptance that life will never be the same ever again and that is okay. Maybe it is extending forgiveness to someone who doesn't even realize the impact of hurt that they have caused. I'm still figuring out what comfort looks like, but I do feel closer to it when I'm on the good and ancient path that God has created for us to walk in. Because on that path, I find a rest for my soul. And it's still hard. I'm not gonna stand up here and say, it's all easy and perfect now and everything is better. And the questions still arise of, is it even worth going on this path? Is it worth the hard conversations that will come? Attempting to move forward, taking the risk of the very real possibility that you may again get hurt by the same person, that you may again get hurt in that situation. And I don't have all the full answers as I'm still walking this good and ancient path. But all I know is that God is good and true and faithful to his promise that he will walk with us through every step of this path. It is hard, but I trust in the promise that this good path will give a rest to my soul and that it will bring restoration. Those that grieve, and I believe and know that all of us will experience grief at some point of life, we are given a place to sit in the midst of our hurt, a place to ask the hard questions, a place to yell at God, and a place to cry out to him. We are all welcome to walk this good and ancient path with him. We're invited in to wrestle, ask these hard, uncomfortable questions that we're a little afraid to know the answer of. We are all welcome to walk this good and ancient path. I have found God, my joy, and my rest alone in the small whispers of him. For me, the good walk was in the form of walking the path of forgiveness. It was allowing others to walk alongside of me instead of staying by myself, refusing to receive aid. It was inviting my dad in to walk this path with me when I didn't think it was possible. I am still walking this path, learning what it means to forgive, extend grace, and move forward with life. I'm learning it is to give space for myself to grieve what once was, and that is okay to grieve what once was, and also to grieve what can come in the future. I heard it from someone, it's called anticipatory grief, knowing that a hard thing hasn't happened yet, but you know it will come. I urge you guys, as I have learned myself, to grieve when you feel the hard waves hitting you, to let you feel those emotions and to not hide from them. I have grieved what once was, what could have been, and what I thought should have been for my family, my dad and I. And I can't lie, a year and a half later, the waves of grief still unexpectedly hit. Sometimes I'll just be sitting doing homework and I see a picture of the father and daughter and I just can't help the tears. But I have learned to not run away from those fears and to not run away from the grief, 
and just to stand in the waves as they hit me and let them pass over because I know that God brings rest for my soul on this path that he has set for me. And somehow, by this mystery of God, I don't think I'll ever fully understand, um, grief and joy can and do coexist with one another. They are uniquely, divinely intertwined. And this season of sitting and the tension of grief and joy has shown me that God is the provider of true peace and rest, even when it's hard. So it takes me to present day. My relationship with my relationship with my dad, it is healing and it is moving towards restoration. Even a few days ago, we had this really, really sweet and unexpected phone call. But it is still tentative and slow steps on this path. Slow steps are being taken. I'm still learning how to let my walls down and to not close myself up, up from the hurt and from grace. But walking on the path of goodness has shown me that the steady gift of grace that I can give as Christ has given to me is better, better than the chains of bitterness I once lived in. Inviting him to walk on this path with me by opening up to him the ways in which I've been hurt and what I need for communication moving forward has brought on the path for my dad to join me. So I stand here. I'm still currently in the tension of grief and joy. I'm still learning what it means to grieve and still allow myself to experience new happy memories. But this good and ancient path brings a rest for my soul that I feel I will spend my entire life fighting for. I know it exists. I know it is true because I know that God is constant and he is there in those small moments with me. For those of you that have walked with me along this good path, have been patient with me as I try to let you run next to me, thank you. I appreciate the patience. To conclude, I will finish off with one of my favorite liturgies. Um, it is from the book Every Moment Holy, and it has probably truly like changed my life and how I pray and like what I think, so I 10 out of 10 recommend. Um, but this one is called Upon Feeling a Stab of Grief. Let me learn pang by pang. Oh Lord, how these hurts, while they will never in this life completely cease, might serve like stitchings, binding me tighter to an eternal hope. 